Hey, I want to continue our series, Bad Apples. We've been talking about those things that it's good to avoid. And this morning, I want to talk to you on the subject of greed, ending greed's grip. We're not going to take another offering. I'm not going to challenge you on the issue of the tithe. You already know all of that. I just want to talk to you about what greed does in our life and, and how, we can, how we can be set free from that. And I believe this. I believe that's important because God's Word tells us, 1 Peter 4 tells us this. It says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. And I'm convinced of this, that God wants us to live our life a little bit different. Amen? Amen. God, I, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have to consider your word. Let your Holy Spirit guide us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. There are, there are some things in life that make me go, hmm, hmm. For example, why is it that anything that I take out of a package, we, we have this, we have this, this air mattress comes in this wonderful box. It makes sense to store it in the box when you're not using it, right? I know that it fits in the box because it came out of the box. And yet, it doesn't matter how Herculean effort I give, I cannot seem to get... Hmm. It, 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 it boggles the mind. Let, let me tell you another thing that makes me go, hmm... When, when I go to a restaurant, especially the restaurant that has the menus up on the wall, and I see those, those pictures of that amazing food. And so I order that, and then when it comes, I, I, look at, I look at what they give me, and I look at the picture. I look at what they give me, and I look at the picture, and it makes me go, hmm. It's not even, there are colors on this plate that aren't even on that picture. Hmm. Let me tell you what else makes me go, hmm. How is it that a boxer can win $400 million and in less than three years be bankrupt? I, I, I've got a better one for you. How can a nation, if you were, if you were going to start over and reorganize the world, and reorganize the planet, and you had the opportunity to lead a country, and you got first pick over all the land on this globe, on this planet, you could not pick a better place to form a nation than the United States of America. Now, I'm not saying that because we're some great nation. I'm saying that, friends, if you recognize the resource that there is from sea to shining sea, everything that you need to have not just a civilization survive, but a civilization to thrive, we have it. Energy, we've got it. Food source, we've got it. We feed the world. It's interesting, we feed the world, but we can't seem to feed our own people. That's a totally different subject, totally different sermon. Metal, raw goods for building. Where we land, it's not too hot in America. It's not, well, except for Phoenix. And it's not too cold in America, well, except for Fargo. But if, 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 you, if you take away Phoenix and Fargo, everything else, America, it's, it's pretty amazing. We're, we're just right in that right climate. 
And so everything that we have, America should prosper. How in the world are we bankrupt? Now some will say, well, we're not bankrupt. Look at our debt, look at our income. It makes, it just makes me go, hmm, hmm, huh. It's an issue of entitlement. It's an issue of, it's an issue of greed. I, I find a, an interesting correlation of this in scripture. In, in Mark's gospel, Mark records of Jesus in his, in his earthly time of ministry. He is, he's traveling along with his disciples. And it says this, starting in, in verse 32 of Mark chapter 10. It says, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Jesus is doing all these miracles, right? All this, all this is happening. And then what he does is he, he pulls his disciples aside. Now, here's what we know. We know this isn't the first time that he's done this. The reason we know it's not the first time that, he, that, that he's done it is because it, it says here in, 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 in verse number 32 of Mark chapter 10, it says this, again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. And, and here's, here's what he says. Starting in verse 33 of Mark chapter 10. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and, and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And then three days later, he will arrive. So Jesus has just laid out, and it's not the first time he's done this, Right? Because Mark says this. Again, he pulls them aside and tells them, listen, we're on our way to Jerusalem. And here's what's going to happen when I get to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. There's going to be a mockery of a trial. I'm going to be brutally beaten. And then I'm going to be killed. Now, if you're following someone, if you have declared this is your teacher, this is your master... And you're convinced that he's going to bring about meaningful change. He's going to bring about revolution. He's going to restore right order. Right? And he's leading you into, into a preferred future. And he says, hey, by the way, we're on our way to Jerusalem where I'm going to be killed. Would that not get your attention? I want you to notice in Mark chapter 10 what happens. So... Jesus tells them this, and it says, then James and John says, um, Jesus, can we, can we talk to you for a minute? Just, just a sec. No, you got a lot of stuff going on with this whole Jerusalem going and getting killed thing, but can we talk to you for just a moment? Uh, Jesus, we want you to give us whatever we ask. What? Really? He's just told you that he's going to be betrayed, beaten, mock trial, and killed. And your response to that is, uh, you got a sec? We'd like for you to give us whatever you ask. What is it that you want, Jesus says? We want to sit on your right and your left. Did you not just listen 
to what, we, to what I told you is going to happen. Yeah, but when you come into your kingdom, I know all that death stuff. And that's, that's just kind of a downer. But when you come into your kingdom, can we sit on your left and on your right? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Oh, sure we do. Now, it'd be real easy for us to, to, to go, James and John, what's wrong with you? Here's what's interesting to me. It wasn't just James and John. It wasn't just the sons of thunder. It was, it was all of the disciples, right? Look, look at verse number 41. It says, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And here's what they're indignant about. They're like, wait, why do you think you get to sit by him? We should get to sit by him. You're not, what, what makes you think that you're the favorite? What about me? What about me? What about me, 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 me? They all start sounding like opera stars. Me, 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 me. What about me? What about me? What about me? I'm convinced that's the true national anthem. What about me? It's not much later. They're in Jerusalem. What Jesus has told them is going to happen is about to happen. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, now he showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Je Listen to this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Okay, Jesus knows that he has all authority. Jesus knows that he is the greatest. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that the next word is the most powerful word in the entire Bible. Listen to this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, having an understanding of all of this, it motivated him to declare his lordship? No. Demand his rights? No. Exert his authority? Mm -mm. Here's what he does. He gets up. He takes off his outer garment, which is the garment that signifies he's a rabbi, a position of respect. And he puts on a towel. They didn't know exactly what he would do, but taking off of that outer garment and putting on that towel carried with it unmistakable symbolism.
You see, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't didn't focus on that which he was entitled to. He is very God of very God. What he is entitled to is that all creation bow down and worship him. What he's entitled to is all of the resource of creation recognizing his sovereignty. It's not a question of whether or not you're entitled. And and, and you'll notice this. In the story, the Last Supper, when Jesus washes their feet, after he washes their feet, he says this, you call me Lord. You call me teacher, and rightly so. For that is what I am. He says, you call me Lord. You call me the commander. You call me the one that is in charge. And rightly so, for that is what I am. You see, Jesus, in taking off the outer garment, and taking off the garment of prestige and putting on the garment of service, he's not denying who he is. He's not rejecting the authority. He's not denying that which he's entitled to. He's recognizing that that entitlement positions him for a greater demonstration of God's heart. He says, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done before you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. Now that you know these things, listen to this. I love this. Now that you know these things, if you do them, you will be blessed. It's the heart of God. It's the desire of God, friend, to bless you. It's the desire of God that you walk in prosperity. It is not God's plan that you live as most of us do in the land of not quite enough. That issue of living in the land of not quite enough, that is a hellish satanic trap that the enemy keeps you bound. And that that land of not quite enough, we find it when we have a misunderstanding and a misdirection because of a misappropriation of this issue of entitlement. Entitlement. It's a cute thing when a, when, when, when a child throws a tantrum, right? I want it. It's mine, mine, mine. And they're rolling on the ground. You pick it up and you go, now let me talk to you. It's okay. I know, I know that you want that toy, but Billy's playing with it right now. And, and you know what? If you wait... It's going, to be, it's going to be better, right? And, and you kind of you get them calmed down and, and, and you go from, from, from tears to cooing and, and, oh, it's wonderful. Fortunately, as, as we grow older, many of us, we don't quite learn this lesson of pausing and waiting our turn of, Showing consideration, serving others, 
we still throw tantrums. Now, we don't, we don't fall down on the ground and roll around and scream. Well, at least hopefully not, right? Be a little embarrassing, but, but we do it more subtly. And we... We do it more precisely. You impose unrealistic demands on your, on your family, your children, your friends, your employees or employers. You tend to feel sorry for yourself if things don't work out the way that you wanted and you, you openly advertise this in melodramatic, attention-seeking ways. People call you a bully or ruthless or vain or liar. You, you punish people when they don't do what you want. And maybe you punish them passively, silent treatment, gossip, spreading rumors. Maybe you punish them aggressively by shouting, verbally, physically abusing them. You, you see most of the people around you as competition or a threat. You have a hard time negotiating or, or compromising. People seem always to be offended or upset by what you say. You, you crave admiration. Or even adoration. You tend to take more than you give in friendships and relationships. You have a deep-seated conviction that you have priority and that you should come first, even at the expense of others. You believe that you deserve happiness, even at others' expense. It's entitlement. It's greed. It's narcissism. And it is an epidemic in our world. It is an epidemic in our nation. And some could rightly conclude that Orlando is one of the epicenters of the entitlement culture. And that's what greed is. Greed is a sense of entitlement. And, and here's what I realize. I realize this issue of greed, this issue of entitlement, whether it be stuff or prestige or, or, or whatever it is that we thirst after, that it is a direct result of not understanding the nature of God and not rightly prioritizing our relationship with him. And so what happens is we have this misconception that if I'm going to have, it's up to me. Not up to Jehovah Jireh, the God that does provide. And so what I've got to do is I've got to make sure that I'm getting mine. Because I am the source. And so in that moment... 
When Jesus is telling his closest followers, his disciples, of what is about to take place, their focus isn't on Jesus. Their focus isn't on the mission, but their focus is on what their position will be. Uh, Jesus, can I talk to you for a sec? James deals with this. In fact, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to James chapter 4. I want to talk to you about how to address this entitlement issue. And here, here's, what, here's what God's word says to us in James chapter 4. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That's powerful. You ask that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Wow. Wow. How does this go from me not getting what I want to Scripture calling me an adulterous person? Adultery. Being unfaithful in relationship. Being unfaithful in intimate relationship. Being unfaithful in covenant relationship. Who is it for me wanting stuff? Who is it that I'm committing adultery against? It's that greatest of all relationships. It's that relationship with God who has told me that he will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. It's, it's the God who, who has ordered my steps. It's the God who I can be confident that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. It's the God who tells us to consider the lilies of the field. They, they do not toil or spin, but Solomon in all of his royal splendor does not have the, the beauty of them. Or to consider the, the birds. They, they, don't, they don't give effort. They don't seem to bring a whole lot to the situation, but God places a value on them and cares for them. And how much more so if he, if he takes care of the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, how much more will he care for you, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is, is hatred toward God? So, so does that mean that I can't find any connection in the world? Does that mean I can't find any pleasure in the world? Do you? Listen, this is important for you to grasp. God designed you, and he designed you with the ability to enjoy things. Okay? The, all of creation, God created this for you. God gave you taste buds so you can enjoy food. 
He gave you a sense of smell to where you could go out and and smell the beautiful aromas that you find in nature. He's given you clarity of vision to where you can look on beauty and take that in and, and appreciate all that it is. When God created, he didn't create in black and white. He created in this myriad of colors. Why? For our enjoyment. It's not an issue. It's not a wrong thing to enjoy. Okay? You don't have to sit there, pursed lips, angry. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wear gray clothes. I'm going to eat bland food. I'm not going to have any enjoyment because here's what I don't want. I don't want to be connected with the world. How then will we go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in? There is this importance of, of us being connected with our culture and being involved in our environment. Because we're called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Salt doesn't have any impact if it's still in the salt shaker. Right? So we're supposed to be engaged in the world. And all of this beauty and all that God has brought in the world that provides enjoyment, when it's done in right perspective and in right priority, is a blessing that God makes available to you. See, it's it's not wrong to have these things in our life. And I'll, I'll go even a step further. Because of the promises of God, I can count on those things. Because the promises of God, I'm entitled. Not because of anything I am, but because of everything that he is, I'm entitled. I'm entitled for my needs to be met. I'm entitled to walk in health. I'm entitled to walk in prosperity. I am entitled. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm, that I'm switching to name it, claim it. Okay, I'm not going to tell you to give to where I can get a new Cadillac. I'm not going to do that. Cadillac's not my brand. I'm, 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 no, I'm just But it is this issue of, of perspective. So how do I do this? How do I address my entitlement issues? Well, it, it starts about dealing with the desires, right? Because that's what it says in James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle? Your desires that battle. And we have these conflicting desires. Now, if you're here this morning... And you came and you are not yet a Christ follower. We'll take care of that before you leave. But if you're not yet a Christ follower and you, and you came in and you're a skeptic, here's what you know. Even if you're not sure about this Jesus thing, and even if you're not sure about this God thing, you know this. In fact, you can kind of sense it in, right now, kind of in, in, at soul level. There's this, this, this battle that goes on. There's this conflict that goes on. There's these, these conflicting desires, Right? Or battling desires. We, we've, we've seen it on cartoons growing up, right? The angel on the one side, the devil on the other side, right? Do it. Don't do it. Do it. Don't do it. Do it. Don't do it. Right? And, we, and here's the thing. When we see that, right, on our favorite cartoon, it immediately resonates with us. Why? Because even though we don't have these pop-up people, which is good because that would be kind of creepy, but we live in that world. 
And, and we have these, we have these conflicting desires. And all too often what happens is the desire that wins is the desire that comes out of self-love rather than God-love. And so that, that's the reason why Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Listen to this. Which is idolatry. Greed. Or this, this issue of, of unhealthy entitlement. It's idolatry. Anything that you put before God in your life is a form of worship. Amen. Amen. Okay, and let me, let me take this a step further. Anything that you put before God in your life is going to be a stress point for you. It's going to be an anxiety point for you. Here's what I, here's what I know. Listen to me. Here's what I know. If you have relationship stress, you have put that relationship that horizontal relationship, that earthly relationship, you have put a greater priority on that than your vertical relationship, the relationship between you and God. If you're here today and you're constantly freaked out about your job, your job has a higher priority than your connection with God. If you're here today, I, 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 I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about finance. If you're here today and you're freaked out about finance, I guarantee you this. I guarantee you, number one, that you're disobedient to God in the area of stewardship. And I'm not, I'm not trying to beat you up on this, friend. And I'm not trying to get into your pocket. I'm trying to help you. I would rather you go to another church and tithe than come here and not tithe. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But so many of us, we do this. We live in the land of not quite enough and we struggle. And, and, and it's a difficulty for us. And here's the reason why. Because we have this desire to to be obedient to what God tells us to do and, and to be obedient to what God calls us to be. But then we also have these conflicting desires and, and, and all too often these conflicting desires win. And what we don't recognize is all that does is it feeds stress for us. If I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, here's what Jesus said. All these things will be added unto me. All these things. It's not that God doesn't want you to have it. It's an issue of priority. So I have to put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. And, and here's, here's that happens. I do that when I decide that God is going to be my source. That's what James 4.2 says. Listen to this. James 4.1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So I'm going to go get it. I'm going to make it happen. Rather than saying, okay, God, I'm going to follow your plan Because your word says, 
and my God shall supply all your needs. The Apostle Paul wrote that under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, and all these things will be added unto you. All. All. Say that word with me. Ready? One, two, three. All. Let's say it again. One, two, three. All. What will God supply? He will supply all your needs. Now here's the question I have for you, friends. Are you fully relying on Jesus to do that? Now, before you answer yes, here's what you can't do. You can't say, God, I'm fully counting on you to meet all my needs, but by the way, your plan to make that happen? No, I'm, I, I'm counting on you to do it, but I'm counting on you to do it. You gotta do it on my terms, not your terms. Right? It's the equivalent of a man Standing next to his bride, do you take this woman, whom you hold by the hand, to be your wedded wife, promising to love, honor, and cherish in sickness and in health, in poverty and wealth, forsaking all others till death divides you? I do. Well, sort of. I do. But here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for one weekend a month to be single. Two days a month. There's 365 days in the year. I'm only asking for 24 days to be single. I'm giving you over 90% of my time. Over 90% of the time, I'm going to be faithful in marriage. Any women going to take that offer? Oh, thank you, please. <laughs> That's one of those as a pastor you worry because you go, oh, Please don't let a lady raise her hand and go. <laughs> Pastor, it's better than what I got right now. Don't settle. <laughs> right? But seriously, that's the approach that we take with God, right? God, I'm 90% in. <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He will make your path straight. I've got to decide that God's my source. God, I'm, I'm in. So when, when, I, when I deal with this issue of desires and, I, and I, I decide that God's my source, then what I have to do is I've, I've got to do this. I've got to determine where my loyalty lies. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Wow, that's a powerful statement in James chapter 4. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he, he caused to live in us envies intensely? You know what I love about this, this portion of scripture? I want, I, I, want, I want to read this to you, and I want you to hear it in context. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think, Scripture says without reason, that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? Wow. I love the fact it deals honestly with this issue, with this quarrel that we have and this tendency towards unfaithfulness to the plan of God and the promises of God. And yet God gives us more grace. And God, I thank you that you don't judge me and you don't give me what I deserve. But instead, you, you look at me with an understanding that I am both imperfect and I'm unfinished. 
but you continue to sand the rough edges off of my life and continue to grow me into the person, into the man of God, the woman of God that I'm called to be. And, and that's the reason why, our, man, our loyalty, our loyalty, our loyalty has to be to him. Right? When God gave the commandments, the, the, the first of the, uh, of the Ten Commandments, the first three, the, 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 the first three commandments were all about our relationship with God. Why? Because that's got to come first. And that has to be where our greatest loyalty is. And, and when that happens then, it makes it so much easier to walk in God. A scripture that's often quoted, and it's, it's, it's great though to look at it in context, is the next portion of scripture, which is James 4, 7. So James 4, 1 starts, what causes fights and quarrels? It's, it's about this, this battling desires, right? You, you, you don't have because you don't ask God. And when you ask God, you ask for the wrong motives. And so you have to figure out this issue of loyalty, what you're going to be loyal to. And, and, and understand this, that in this, it is a battle, but God's going to give you grace. Then you get to James 4, 7. It says, submit then because of this, because of this battle that we face, because of this issue with entitlement that we deal with, Okay, we can judge James and John for they're going to Jesus and going, hey, Jesus, we want to be like right next to you on the throne. When oftentimes we, we may phrase it differently, but that's what we're saying. God, it's all about me, 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 me. Submit then to God. Submit then to God. God, I don't have it all figured out. And I'm a mess. I'm not going to do all this perfectly. But here's the conclusion that I've come to. That my plan doesn't seem to work and your plan does. So I'm going to submit to you. And I understand that in submitting to you that the devil's not going to like it and the devil's going to try to get into my ear and try to, try to convince me to do things that are unhealthy. That the devil's going to send people relationally into my life to try to pull me away. I'm well aware of his tactics. So God, I'm, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to submit to your way. I'm going to submit to your plan. And I'm going to resist the devil. And here's what it says, James 4, 7. Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let me give you one last thought. This issue of, of entitlement. Humble yourselves, James 4.10 says, before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Ma'am, I, I commend you for your accomplishments. Sir, I, I think it's a wonderful thing that you have the standing in your workplace that you do. The, uh, the fact that you're able to live in that neighborhood, the fact that you're able to have the influence that you have, God has been good to you. And he has prospered you. And he's rewarded you for your faithfulness. Celebrate that. 
appreciate that. Even enjoy that. Here's what we know about Jesus. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he enjoyed life. But don't let it dominate you. And just because there are some things that maybe on some level you deserve... Just because you deserve it doesn't mean you should do it. I've earned the right. I'm not here to argue that. I'm not. But here's what I wonder. I wonder this. What would happen if the body of Christ that deserves, that has earned the right, If we, if we took off that garment of authority, if we took off that garment of entitlement, and we took up the garment of service, Amen. what would our world look like? I can tell you what your life would look like. I can tell you what the disposition on your face would look like. I can tell you the joy quotient in your life and what would happen with it. Because God's word is true when it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. And there are some Sundays that will bring you forward to an altar. We did it last Sunday. The altars were full. There are some Sundays that I believe that a, a different response is appropriate. And today is one of those Sundays. I, I believe this is one of those messages that you ponder. And they talk about application. So here's my challenge to you. Be open to the Holy Spirit gently speaking to you about your issue of entitlement. Be open to God whispering to you. This is an area in your life where there needs to be a little bit more sanding. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. God, I, I stand here honored 
to serve as the lead pastor of a great church. And I'll confess to you and I'll confess to everyone here that pastoring this church, it's, it's so easy for it to feed those entitlement issues. It's so easy to begin to think that I'm here because of my accomplishment. And yet the truth is this, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that try to build it. God, it's easy for us collectively as a church with the incredible heritage that Calvary has and the wonderful resource that you've given us. It would be easy for us to be an entitlement church. With our standing in the community and the the notoriety of our, our expansive facilities. It would be so easy for us to, to look to those things for our identity. But God, you're calling us as a church to not let that be our identity. You're calling us as a church to take off any of that type of garment And you're calling us as a church to instead of being a a position of authority to our community, to put on the garment of a servant and to serve our community, to serve our city, to serve our region, to serve our nation and to serve our world. It's not denying who we are. It's not denying who you've made us, but it's, it's following the Jesus example. And we recognize, oh God, that the way that the church does that corporately as a body is if we together do that individually in our home, with our family, in our workplace, in our school, in our relationships, in our ministries. God, we we take off the garment of what we perceive that we deserve or that we perceive that we are. We take up the towel. And we say this, here I am. Use me. God, I I pray for the skeptic that is here. And God, they've come to church in spite of all of the stuff that they've seen in, in religion and in Christianity and in the church world. And God, my hope and my prayer is this, is that they see you from a different perspective because of their experience at Calvary today. 
and that they will continue to see you from a different perspective and see the church from a different perspective. As Calvary takes off the garment of entitlement and takes up the towel and says, we're not here to be served, but we're here to serve and to give our life for the cause of the kingdom. God, I pray for the seeker that has come here today searching. They've been struggling in their journey, but God, you brought them here today to challenge them with priorities and to reveal to them that you have a better way and that you have a plan that works to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. God, forgive us for our arrogance and our pride. Forgive us for for thinking that somehow we we deserve it. (laughs) That we deserve the blessing, that we deserve the increase. Or that we're entitled. And let the disposition of our life and the disposition of our day be in Christ alone. In the name of your Son, Amen.